0: That's the old one that's like five minutes long, so I got to play the real one. Sorry about that. Three, two. One. We are back with another episode of the Canna Book Club. Got to get that intro video updated. Holy smokes. Wonderful to see everybody again. This is uh, the new format that we're rocking and rolling with for a little bit. Uh, Clubhouse, we're going to take a break from you. Come visit us over on our YouTube channel so we can join and talk with you and get this Canna Book Club thing rocking and rolling again. If you have any questions about the last paper sending us an email, you can do that, info at resonatecannabis.com, or you can get in touch with us on Instagram, and we will get those questions lined up, and we can start chatting about those as we move on through. But as always, I have some friends with me again. Everyone is here, we're going talk about some horticulture stuff today, propagation, I'm excited to have everybody here. Without further ado, I'm always going to say that every single time to Casey on It's your turn, brother. Let's go. Cannabis Club time.
1: Thanks, Corey. Hey, everyone. This is the Cannabis Club, where every week we get together and record a nice, cool discussion. We pick a new scientific paper on cannabis um, on subjects like horticulture, genetics, biochemistry, almost almost every topic of cannabis, but you know, we, we don't wanna go too far out of our comfort zones, but today we've got a cool horticultural paper. Uh, my co-host and I, we're here to break down each section of the paper. Um, my name is Casey Albron and I'm gonna introduce you to the paper a little bit, give you the abstract, run the results. Molly is gonna do the introduction, corey has got our methods, and Dr. Anibus today is gonna do discussion, which this paper is a little weird. It's kind of a mix. And we've got our guy, Darren Kaplan, Dr. Darren. Um, He actually has some good experience with this paper. He cited it in his own work. Uh, So why don't we jump on in? Uh, This study was published in 1979 by, Uh, Springer on behalf of the New York Botanical Garden Press. Um, It was written by C.B. Kaufman and W.A. Genscher from (laughs) Weed Science Laboratory in Belts, Maryland. I don't think it's the weed we're interested in though. I think it's the weeds that nobody likes. Uh, (laughs) And here's the abstract. Previous work revealed uh, significant variations in cannabinoid profiles of cannabis sativa L derived from a single seed source and subjected to the same growth environment. Studies were conducted to evaluate the efficacy of propagation of cannabis sativa by vegetative cuttings in order to increase uniformity of cannabinoid concentrations um, within, within a given plant population. Cannabis sativa was successfully propagated by vegetative cuttings. However, there were both morphological and biochemical differences between seed-derived plants and their vegetative propagules. Sorry, one second. Yeah, Delta-9-THC concentrations were 4.1 times higher in vegetative propagules than in seed propagules. Vegetative cuttings also generally develop more profuse lateral branch growth, hence foliage increased relative to their parent plants. Cannabinoid levels within the uh, population of vegetative cuttings remained highly variable. Kind of a, I almost thought I was reading something wrong for a second. It just didn't feel like your average uh, modern uh, abstract. Um, So why don't we break it down a little further and Molly is going to read Uh, take on the uh, very short this time introduction.
2: Thanks, Casey. Yeah, this one is uh, super short. They just uh, want to mention that uh, cannabis sativa plants that had been propagated from Afghan um, strain seeds they had and subjected to different growth environments, they exhibited um, so much biochemical variation within the treatments as much as among the treatments. Um, also, vegeta- vegetative propagation have been successfully used for development of... Um, stability of genetic expression in forest species, uh, cotton and flax um, as well. And so in this paper, they describe the effect of vegetative propagation on growth and biochemistry of cannabis sativa. Um, So, you know, pretty short intro, also very different from what we have now. Um, Of course, you know, uh, we're going to go over the actual um, things that they've done first, and then uh, we'll have our discussion.
1: And Corey, you get a pretty good materials and methods for today.
0: I know, right? <laughs> I don't get to to cheese out almost like I have for the last uh, last few of them. There, there we go. They might go. they let's might go. not
1: even mention statistics in this one.
0: I know yeah. that's absolutely wild <laughs> for us a book club, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah let's get on this one real quick um so we have uh seeds were sown in soil in 12 centimeter pots so pretty much standard uh greenhouse practices that we have going on uh placed on benches uh seedlings were thinned out so we're doing some spacing here of one plant per pot uh, several weeks after germination and so that's one thing that i noticed right away was talking about putting you know how many cannabis plants into a pot because As we've moved to large scale and doing kind of different things i've run into some folks in agriculture who have encouraged us to put multiple plants per pot so uh, that was something for me you know learning from some older school methods uh, that instantly stood out so that they were actually um, looking at this in that study uh, because traditionally yeah that's not really uh, talked about uh, per se but anyways um, our plants were grown uh, so october to december so That would just kind of tell me uh, that we also have a little bit easier of control in the environment in the greenhouse Uh, is per se, you know, we're growing these in like June or July, August. Uh, Things might be a little bit, uh, you know, wild. So as far as like October to December is concerned, uh, I feel it's a pretty good timing uh, if you want to have as much control as possible uh, with the madness that is the the greenhouse there. So uh, our cuttings here are about 12 centimeters long. Uh, And they include the first and second obvious node uh, below that terminal. So a pretty good size cutting. I know there's uh, a lot of folks that go out of there and kind of use, you know, three or four fingers plus a node or, you know, something like that and kind of rudimentary methods. So uh, we're dealing with a pretty good piece of uh, vegetative material here. Um, I don't understand this really, to be honest with you. And I don't know, uh, Dr. Kaplan, if you want to kind of pipe up of this one here, but Uh, you know, cuttings were made in air from growing. Uh, I don't know if that's just kind of maybe a little bit of like a a barrier from the time maybe, um, of maybe just a language, but I didn't really understand how that could really be different from anything else. You know, cuttings were made in air from growing healthy. What is the difference between made in air and normal cuttings, my friend?
2: (laughs) I have a... Uh, little assumption maybe it's because you know how we do the underwater stuff maybe that's like the difference they maybe meant that it's just the plant with the branches up and they just cut them in the air maybe that's what they meant
3: I think you're right I think often you could like cut down a whole plant or cut down large portions of a plant and then take cuttings off of that I think that's probably the difference if cutting straight off a plant maybe it was not common practice for other vegetative stem cuttings for other crops. So they mentioned that, but it's interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. That was definitely something where, uh, you know,
0: I've also had someone kind of suggest, Hey, what if you grow plants upside down? So I thought maybe suddenly <laughs> this was the methodology that was thrown into there. So, uh, so we have that, the cuttings were immediately placed, uh, and previously washed, uh, with, uh previously washed perlite contained in a mist chamber so they did do a little bit of a misting there and trying to get off i'm assuming the dust off of there um and then it was watered several times daily so um and also mist applicator uh, which is the other i know there's also kind of differentiation with methods in there so it's also interesting to note that they're making sure that they're doing uh that wetting of the top side of the our clones there with the foliage um Cuttings develop roots within 10 days uh, and were transferred to soil-filled pots. And again, one plant per pot. Uh, and the potted cuttings were kept in a mist chamber for several days before transferring over to the greenhouse benches. So pretty good humidification system still in place to make sure that they have, you know, as best pe- uh, best possible chance uh, as moving forward. Uh, cuttings grew from February until April. So definitely a little bit of warmer times uh, than they're used to, but definitely still not as bad, like I said, in the summertime. Uh, And again, pretty much standard uh, greenhouse coming through. It's interesting to note that the second study, the seed derived plants were grown 40 days in the greenhouse uh, during November to December. And those cuttings were also made and propagated as in uh, the stuff that we just talked about there. So um, I think everything else is fairly not surprising, uh, fairly standard. I know the leaf tissues harvested, dried and stored as in previous study doesn't really kind of go I'm terribly into other detail, but um, yeah, that's our. I think that's our materials and methods. There, um, am I missing anything? Am I get? I keep looking at Dr. Kaplan because I know you cited this thing, so I'm assuming you should know it inside it out as well.
3: <laughs> no, it's a it's a pretty basic paper. Uh, it's yeah, basically there basic was, good. There were two
1: two different studies, though, right?
4: And yeah, I I had to look up the word antheric because the one that was in 45 days and the one that was in 49 days, 45 days was not antheric. Is that the word I'm looking at? Or is it anthesic? And then 49 days. I was maybe thinking that was veg versus in preflower. flower I don't know.
3: I'm not
0: sure. I don't Here's know the where the, the materials and methods oh, are.
3: Oh, anthesic. Well, members of the non-anthesic cuttings were harvested I,
2: I actually can't find a definition of the word anthesis oh, right now.
3: Uh, I'm assuming that's probably after that they flipped. Maybe I don't know. I, yeah, I've never heard that word before.
0: So we have two two doctors that are stumped here, folks.
4: <laughs> I was I was thinking it was um, veg versus flower
2: there i found one citation to anthesic it yeah. says liberation of pollen grains from anthers yeah
3: it, it is it is flowering it's it's the flowering period of a plant is anthesic. okay so the ones oh, that
4: were anthers, anthesic. first day, 45 days was not anthesic and the other one 49 days after root were anthesic i don't know if that matters but
0: That's such a strange descriptor for that.
4: They're old. (laughs) These are things your grandpa would say.
3: These were the only people doing research on cannabis, and they could do whatever they wanted.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they probably used that word in other.
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, these these guys are pioneers. Amazing. Yeah. So anyway. Pine capsule.
4: So we've so,
0: got in- anthesic and non-anthesic. Okay. Lovely. Now let's maybe, get on. Maybe there possibly is someone who's listening to this that can get us on Instagram or send us an email to info at Resonate Cannabis. I doubt they're
4: on Instagram. They may be on Facebook, though.
0: I <laughs> I send an email to, to a, a little friend, Jeff Lowenfels. And if Jeff doesn't know, then... I think we're probably going to be out of luck, but he's got about <laughs> 30 years of gardening experience as a columnist out there doing this. He might know. He's from around. I'll give that a shot.
4: Well, I'm wondering if this comes into play further along in the discussion where they start talking about how the leaflets differ. And we might be talking about things that are going back into re-veg if it's the ones that have gone into flower. And But I don't know. Like might, we, we might have to wait till we get there because I don't know that much about all that stuff.
0: So
1: oh, then let's uh, get to these results slash discussion, which was kind of, I guess that's how these papers were huh? Just mixing yeah. the results and the discussion. Yeah. It's kind of like interpreted as it goes along. So I'll just try to give some of the like basic data results. So first looking at the plant morphology, uh, the, the, The vegetative cuttings were very different from the parents that were born a seed. Um, Petioles and stems displayed red pigmentation. The leaves were alternate, whereas the leaves from the parents were opposite when the cuttings were made. Um, In many instances, leaves had only one or an even number of leaflets and lateral branches developed and were um, comparable in both height and leafiness to the main stem. Parents had no lateral branch development. Meristematic growth at the terminal bud produced a loosely plicate pattern of elongation. And I looked it up, and plicate's like folding long ways like a fan, um, I guess, versus the linear pattern of elongation uh, associated with plants derived from seed. Um, And in the first study, the vegetative propagules tended to have simple leaves, like the margins, um, compared to, and and they lost their lower leaves, um, whereas the plants um, in the second study had compound leaves, odd or even leaflets, and um, did not display the lower leaf loss. Um, They mentioned a little bit of the, the difference in growing seasons of the the propagules versus the the seed-derived. The propagules grew from late winter to early spring and seed-derived parents from late fall to early winter. So maybe that has, they're thinking that maybe that has something to do with the differences. Then they looked at cannabinoid concentrations. Kind of cool to see that there was scientific writing about CBD back in the late 70s. So all of a sudden it just became a thing like this millennia. <laughs> um, so with the first study, uh, the mean CBD concentrations were um, 1,300 to 4,000 ppm for seed and vegetative propagules, respectively. Uh, the average CRF value for CBD was about four times, As much as the vegetative propules compared to the seeds. The charts in table one with all your all your nice uh, data points. uh, And just to kind of give a that CRF is actually the cannabinoid ratio factor, and it's um, just a ratio of the cannabinoid concentrations from the seed. Is it the seeds over? um, Sorry, the veg. Concentrations over the seed propagule concentrations. Uh, uh, THC was pretty cons. Uh, they had a consistent CRF value greater than one compared to the parent offspring, um, and that's all in on Table One. Um, so, like the what do we have the averages? Yeah. So the, for the seeds, uh, they averaged 689 to 6,025 parts per million. But with the veg, it was 3,000, 3,125 to 17,835 parts per million for THC. So average THC concentrations were nearly four times greater in the veg than in the seed propagates. Uh, with the second study, um, pretty much the same thing. The CBD and THC concentrations in the uh, vegetative propagules were much higher than the seed propagules, and you can check that all out in Table Two. Uh, and the CRF values for THC were greater than one for each parent-offspring comparison, and that's pretty much pretty much our results for our nice little greenhouse propagation study here
3: this is really interesting I've, you never see cbd or any candidate represented as ppm really in like modern papers. I'm ask. yeah
0: how does so, that mean <laughs> for everybody else that that's the most confusing thing i ever seen yeah. i've never used to co2 but thc hello
3: <laughs> yeah if you want a conversion it's a uh, ppm is the same as a milligram per gram and then that one milligram okay. per gram is point one percent if that helps anyone who's who's doing these calculations in their head like i am (laughs)
4: it's
0: it's definitely a little bit more sense than just straight up ppms for sure um
4: so yeah so the conclusion and i think we should go back to the discussion after we get into the conclusion because i like casey said we've they kind of mixed up the discussion and the results. And I think there's some stuff to talk about.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So the conclusion, they, they say in summation, um, cannabis was vegetatively propagated and the propyoles differed both morphologically and biochemically from their seed propagated parents. These differences were expressed as increased lateral branch development, various leaf modifications, and increased cannabinoid concentrations. It was speculated that the observed responses were due to differences in the growth environment of the seed and vegetative propagules plus stresses that resulted from the vegetative propagation procedure. So that's a really cute little wrap up of their whole study. Um, But I want to go back to the beginning of the results and discussion. Um, So the some of the stuff that they were saying about the the changes in the growth patterns with the red coloring the leaves are alternate um they're displaying different number of numbers of leaflets and we're looking at um simple versus you know more compound leaves i feel like those are all and i and i again i'm not a, a horticulturist but there are horticulturists here on the panel so i feel like those are all evidence of stress but what does everybody else say
0: i mean yeah red pigmentation i mean yeah i I don't i don't yeah i don't want to say you're doing it wrong but i mean i've seen lots of times in greenhouses this this issue uh to say the least uh oh, Dr. Kaplan has a big smile on his face too.
3: <laughs> yeah it's interesting. It's cool because they're like identifying some of these things that we see every day like maybe for the first time on on the, uh, like in the literature. The thing with the the opposite leaves that's really interesting because that's something that not like everyone's aware of that typically when you take cuttings it, it, they're uh, they're different from the the parent plant and that's I don't know if that's like regardless of stress like that just happens not, not all the time, but it's most most of the time. And that's like something that these guys just probably just documented for the first time which is cool
4: so is the time when they were taking clones from these plants is that like a normal time to take clones
3: uh, yeah i think so yeah just to go back to like the the i, I was just reading this as we were kind of discussing the, the how they designed the experiment so the first the first experiment was they took cuts from vegetative plants the second time they took cuts from flowering plants and they just looked at the morphology in both and like how how it differed so that, that was kind of to, to get over that confusion on that bit. Gotcha.
4: So is it possible that, I mean, I, again, I don't know anything about this stuff, uh, but is it possible, but that, that some of these variations in growth patterns are the flowering plants revegging or no, uh, I, don't, I don't know how don't, that works. Or do, I do think you think to...
0: to a point, right? Like that's going to obviously be different morphology when you take the vegetative cutting, uh, uh, in that sort of way, but as far, I just wanted to comment on the like the right time to take clones and like how like cannabis is so much different from veggies in that sort of way. For example, in like the tomato world in tomato times, uh, you have one crop for the whole year, so tomato tom- tomato <laughs> tomato farmers lose their mind. They're so stoked to be working with cannabis because they get like five, maybe six turns a year to learn about their crop and to see these these differences that are happening. And so, you know, even though they can't go to like the farm next door and say, Hey, like, you know, how's your death Bubba doing? Like mine's kind of not doing, it, you know, they can't really do that, but they have five or six different turns to be like, okay, I'm seeing this, you know, taking notes and we're going to roll it over next time and do it differently. So there is that it's, it's a totally different school of thought in that sort of sense. So uh, yeah, I wanted wanted to point that out. Cause I didn't know that about, uh, tomato times i had no idea that it's just one crop a year and you know the two guys that are coaching me along right now are just yeah that's it's really a, it's cool to see how excited they are that they get to do that five times a year so uh,
3: okay. on yeah uh, that's a good point uh corey yeah it's like a it's a whole other world um on the revegging thing that you mentioned uh dr anna I, I don't think so when they took the cuttings from the flowering plants they they didn't mention any supplemental light so i I assume, because they don't mention it, that they're just keeping the photo period of the greenhouse, which is a flowering photo period. So they cut flowering plants and they plug them under a short photo period. So they're continuing to flower as they're rooting.
4: Okay. And then the next thing that I have highlighted is that vegetative propules obtained in both studies grew from late winter to early spring when the daily photo periods were lengthening and then seed-derived parents were grew from late fall to early winter when the daily photo periods were diminishing. And then they go on to say that they don't think that has anything to do with the differences they see, which is funny.
1: <laughs> Just thought we'd mention it. <laughs> Just,
4: eh, it's fine, it's improbable that this environmental difference per se resulted in the observed morphological variations based on observations of seed-derived, blah, 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 grown year-round in the greenhouses at Beltsville. Morphological expressions here and attributed to vegetative protogules have not been seen or have not been observed on non stress seed derived plants grown under ambient photoperiod conditions from January through April. So I'm just wondering what you guys think about the um, dismissal of the fact that they grew these things at two different times during the year.
0: I mean, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that to a point. Cause there's also like, there is a certain practice where it's called, um, super cropping where you can take clones off of plants that are a couple of weeks into flower and like, you know, you put them under the veg light of course. So that's, you know, the obvious caveat, but the, the, sometimes the vigor on those, you know, it might take a little bit to get there, but the vigor at the end of it is pretty much worth the wait. Um, in a few different ways. And I know that's straight out of the closet folks, uh, garden and tips right there, but it's, you know, seen it happen. And now with test results that are available and, you know, these new times, uh, been able to, to verify that, uh, not only just kind of see it and be like, Hey, stoner science, check it out. Um, so there is that kind of super cropping method where, you know, there's, I feel like this has some sort of like <clears throat> foundational thoughts or something towards that, I guess. Uh, but I just, Yeah, maybe that's kind of, maybe supports that stoner science part of it a little bit more. Um,
2: Pretty sure it's monster cropping.
0: Monster, yeah, oh yeah, super cropping is turning for the under, sorry, monster cropping. Yeah,
2: monster cropping. But I also think maybe the vigor is because the plant's, uh, like, life purpose is to get to harvest. And so when it's basically being reverted back, you know, it's maybe even more so it's like oh my god we're starting again we need to you know get there and maybe that's why it's working harder possibly but when it unfurls I feel like it also produces almost more sites so maybe that's also part of the reason why um, you see a bigger yield you know it does really funny things looks ugly
3: (laughs) yeah hence monster cropping I think I've never, have you guys ever seen actual yield or cannabinoid increases from doing that? I've seen that done it a bunch of times, but only I've only seen more branching, but in the end, I've never seen that. Like it compares positive
0: to it. yield and a THC, no terp uptake, but, and then the other question is like, is it really worth it for the amount of, you know, like, again, when you're in our large scale, we, we have a system and we have timing that we need to execute on those dates and you know kind of be efficient about it right so does it actually make sense to do that i mean at home maybe like you know might be but yeah for large scale i definitely wouldn't recommend it at this time for sure yeah
2: i think personally people should just try everything like if you are allowed to have a plant count you have time and you have like extra space try it out see what happens because you'll still like you know you'll be able to appreciate it more and you'll have it you know hand uh, trimmed and all of that so the quality I think also going to kind of compensate for it so maybe for uh, people who grow their personal or on a smaller scale maybe it makes sense but I think for large scale justifying extending um, you know the time in the room for another like four or six weeks it's a lot of money you can almost have an entire Full flowering cycle on there. So convincing people with money that it's a good idea it just might be very difficult. And right now we are also sort of shifting from the um, raise for the highest THC. Right now the terps are important. So if the terps are not increasing with this mythology and we're just getting a slight increase in THC, maybe, you know, might be hard to justify that. But maybe let's say for other, uh, if you have like low yielding strains. Or if you have like a unique, you know, cannabinoid and I don't know, it's hard to grow it. Maybe in that case, it might be worth it. But again, then stressing it out extra might set it back. So you might not even get the same results.
4: Okay. So moving on. Thanks, Molly, for your insight there. Um, the next paragraph starts out with this bold bold statement that morphological characteristics of vegetatively propagated plants probably developed in response to stresses created by the propagation method. So I think we should have have a few words about this.
0: Oh, is, is that so? Is this particularly because this is your area of expertise, <laughs> madam?
4: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> What do you got? Well, and and you you all are horticulturists, and I I look at the the outcome and not you know haven't really and the stuff that I've grown you know in my research, like I on purpose stress the fuck out of it. So of course everything that I saw I can pretty much attribute to stress because those plants were not well taken care of at all. Um, so what do you guys think?
3: That's a tricky well, thing. They-
1: Go ahead, I was just gonna read that it also mentions that like they think it was at least initially manifested by like decreased rigidity in the mist chamber.
4: So but... the plants wilted? <laughs> they forgot to water
0: it. <laughs> I mean
4: I, I also did that yeah. and it didn't bode well for the plants. <laughs> you mean I had...
0: plants need water?
4: Uh my stems were also <laughs> red.
0: <laughs> oh,
4: yeah go
0: ahead dr kaplan
3: oh no uh no i was just going to say that the the propagation method i guess that includes taking the cuttings all the way through rooting the cuttings and in that case then seems like most definitely it has to do with with how how the how the process went uh kind of i think we now know that there's a lot better ways of of taking cuttings and, and rooting them than they did here but i don't think this method wasn't bad they were in 10 days that's, that's not terrible um, yeah
0: you no, know, their timing is pretty good yeah i mean yeah i've seen definitely a swing of several more days in some places right so because <laughs> sure. that was kind of my question too is like how what's the transport method right like do mm-hmm. they have like a container a big container and they're just throwing a bunch of them in one of those like campro mm-hmm. containers or
2: you know
0: oh. do they actually have like a plastic cup where they're you know putting each cutting in there and then You know how how is that chain of custody, uh, and how does that relate? I think that the thing I want to know is really though, like, what's the rooting loss here? Do we have death? Like, what what happened in that trend? That's not mentioned whatsoever. I I
4: feel like they're missing a lot of details in this. (laughs) Um, There's a. I have a lot of questions.
0: (laughs) Keep them coming. Let's go.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just they're just missing a lot of details. You know, I mean. Like you said, like they don't mention how many plants they had. They don't really mention how many died, how many survived. Like There's a, just a, a lot of maybe,
1: misinformation. Maybe it was all redacted by the Department
2: of Agriculture. <laughs> so we <Maybe>. don't know. <laughs> it's all a conspiracy. Uh, well, you know, to me, when I look at this, um, when people say that cloning is super traumatic, um, You know it's kind of hard to tell because I've had so many obviously like I've seen so many clones that when they're being cloned like they look terrible like as soon as you cut them off the plant they're like I'm dead you know they literally pretend like they're already wilting like two seconds after you cut them. I've seen strains like that too but I've also worked with a lot of plants that uh, did perfectly like from the time I take them off the plant to the time that I see the roots they look exactly the same. Uh, So it's kind of like hard to tell, you know, from like looking at it, that it's actually being stressed. Um, Part of it, I also contribute to the fact that I try to barely touch my clones. Like when I handle them, I try to be so gentle and I like, you know, barely squeeze them because I've seen people manhandle the plants. So I feel like a lot of the times these losses that are happening um, in pretty big, you know, scale, a lot of the times happen because people manhandle the plants. They don't fully submerge them into the water between the time of them cutting them from the plant and actually um, doing the final clipping, dipping them into the rooting solution and putting them into the medium. A lot of people just simply run around with a little clone. And, you know, obviously the longer time goes, I feel like the less there is a possibility that it does well. Um, but I'm also finding that pretty much like any size of the clone will root if you give it enough time. Um, I've also done like funny things where the actual shoot very small and I would just like clip half of the stalk <laughs> with it. And it will still grow fine, you know, and it will be as vigorous as other plants. So um, the whole cloning thing is very interesting to me because from my understanding, really, you can make pretty much anything work. You can take them small, you can take them big, because some people prefer to have, like, a few more nodes, um, and they have fewer clones as well. Um, I like to have a big tray where I have, a you know, a lot to pick from, and then I can select the best ones. Um, but, you know, it's not always like that. But I'm just noticing that the whole, like, tra- trauma with the cloning, I don't actually always see it on the plants, you know? Because when the plant is not feeling well, you can tell. They look pissed. Um, but it's not always really happening. So I would be curious to see if there was a study where they compare different methods um, and just kind of see how it's even handled, you know, between the time that you cut it from the plant until the time that you put it into the medium. Because everybody has their different ways. Some people put it under the water, they cut the stem under the water. You know, some people use multiple different rooting hormones. They do gel powder and something else. So I would be really curious to see kind of like more comparison and like actually understanding is there that much of a difference and how, um, how much are we stressing them when we use these different methods?
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to two, like I've seen different people do different things in mother rooms too. And so, you know, it's really, I think it's really key about how you treat that plant and you know, if you get it ready for cuttings per se, so maybe cutting back nitrogen a little bit. I know is something I like to do personally uh, to the mother stock before I take cuttings. Uh, yeah, get really good root growth out of a lot of them. Um, you know, and just the the way you prune them too. You know, if you're if you're taking cuttings from a plant every five or six days, I mean, it's it's probably going to end well or end not well for you. Uh, it's important to have that spacing out and make sure that you're not, you know, shredding your plants uh, too often. Uh, And I think, you know, really the other thing to kind of understand really that is, you know, now since we're not in 1979 and 2022, you know, the (laughs) technology's out there to map genomes and things of the cannabis plant now. Right. And so that would be really cool if that technology could be a little bit more accessible um, especially in price tag wise, uh, you know, under my long list, of course, with the, you know, LED manufacturers, the LED manufacturers and the new genetics folks to get together and stop trying to make so much friggin' money off us cannabis people. I'd really like it because um, I think it would, it would really advance things, you know, because, you know, we've had lots of discussions, right, Dr. Anna, about genetic drift. And, you know, we had one of the guys that was, you know, in charge of the mother room with one of the facilities that I worked with. And, you know, we had that really good back and forth, low key shout out for Resonate Radio right there and a couple other episodes. But I think it really does come down to how you're treating that mother plant and what you're doing with that to also, you know, increase that because I've, yeah, I've seen some mother rooms that are horrible and they're just never going to get cuttings that are good, even though they're technically doing that specific cloning process correctly, it's just... How many times they're doing it, what the shape is, and some other external factors from the growers' kind of cultural practices that I think really kind of show through in that as well.
2: Fantastic. While we're still
1: on the morphology stuff, am I? I'm just like so fascinated that the vegetative cuttings change their freaking leaf or stem alterations going from what opposite. To Alternate to opposite or opposite to alternate, but that is yeah, a major. They, they like, go, I think, from opposite taxonomic. To it's like huge. <laughs> it's so weird.
2: It's pretty cool. Like, and I actually find it a little bit easier uh, when you shape the plants that have been cloned because when you have the nodes that are always across from each other. Um, sometimes might get a bit bit tricky because uh, depending on when you top them, sometimes the lower branches just like stop developing. And so you end up with like four sticks (laughs) on the very top. Uh, It's a little bit easier when you have them alternating. And I just find that um, with seedlings, it's best to use training. Uh, Clones can be topped and they do a lot better. I feel like with, you know, being topped, um, but The seedlings I find do the best if you actually like use the bending method and then you kind of like keep rotating it so then it sort of evenly you know grows the branches because if it just goes like a Christmas tree usually the bottom doesn't really get um, as developed unfortunately and uh, you know you you don't really get as much as you would um, if you either cloned it which probably means that you would top it eventually um, or if you did it with even the the lst there are actually so many different methods like even some people uh what they do with seedlings is they do um i think it's called scrog no no that's not the one there's a different method where they every time it grows two they clip it and so you have two more branches and then they top those two and so they just keep multiplying it and so by the end you have like uh like 64, 128, like, you know, it's 32 branches, kind of like that. So they just keep spreading them, clipping them, and spreading them evenly again, and it, that, it looks really cool. I don't that, remember what's it called. Is that C of Green? Flux. I think that's
0: the no. flux method.
2: Flux. Yeah, it could be. For I that, that's the name, it's, the name uh, right it's now.
0: don't know, but I've seen that where they do that. They bend both sides out, and it basically – it looks really haggard, but it kind of looks like, – not like I don't – I guess rib cage is the wrong way to say it, but it's like it's it's yeah, lines of the plant that are down and then it brings up into branches and they double top those and you just have this unbelievable plant that has vegetative cuttings. Like yes, it's very interesting. Very Send
4: us good. pictures later.
0: Oh yeah. Yes. I talk, gotta here. find it. There's a death <laughs> star out there. There's a guy who vegged a plant into a death star and then put a light in the middle of it and took a picture on it. it took him two years to shape the
4: plant. Yeah. Too many Christmas. That's pretty cool. Um, all right. So uh moving on, um, I want to talk about um their mean concentration of THC and CBD saying that the vegetatively propagated progeny um is this what they're saying, higher um in both than the seed parents. But like if we look at table, well, you know what, first of all talk about sample sizes we only have one strain here right and then if we look at table one just off the bat we've got 10 specimens and in table two we've got four specimens so they're not very large sample sizes and we've only only got one type so we can't really say if all cannabis behaves this way or this particular type of cannabis behaved this way in this experiment um and, you know, they don't tell us where on the plants, and they didn't seem to keep track of or if they did, they certainly didn't mention it, where on the plants they took their clones from. So they're doing leaf, they're, they're measuring uh, CBD and THC from the leaf tissue, not from the floral tissue, which is fine. But if they're higher up on the plant, those, pl- those leaves are going to have more trichomes, correct? Um, so I feel like... I don't know. I've
0: seen so many tests go so many different ways with this thing about the buds in the top half and middle of the plant and lower. Um, I've literally seen it all where the the buds on the very lowers are testing higher THC. Than they're not
4: even testing buds. They're saying leaf.
0: Yeah, it's so like weird and so i don't know if that what i was gonna say is i don't know if that variation transfers into leaves like also up and down inside of that plant it would be interesting to note but i have seen variances just even testing buds from the different lowers on that oh so yeah it translates i'm assuming it does but yeah i, I would
4: mean, think so so and they don't say if it's like you know the big fan leaves or if it's yeah they just don't really say anything about it so i'm not I mean, it's cool. They got cool results. But honestly, it, this is just uh, 1979, I guess. <laughs> this is what people do. <laughs> they hate scientists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and they don't, they don't mention it. But I wonder if in the second study, since it was in the flowering stage, that maybe that's when they used flowering parts of the plant but it doesn't say so so maybe not
4: but i feel like the plant wasn't even really flowering it was more like you know like if it's in flower it's like barely flowering
3: mm-hmm.
4: i don't really think they were in full flower at all
3: yeah i doubt it cuz just the timelines don't really match up but it does say that if right. they're if they are in in anthesis that means like they, they had anthers so it must have some mm-hmm. yeah
0: Yeah, but we've all seen that, uh, the bud challenge from 1970 to 2020. We've all seen that mean by now, so
4: (laughs) it's really
0: interesting to judge what they thought was finished, finished buds, because I honestly haven't seen the buds in some of those pictures, but...
4: uh... (laughs) Yeah, and then they go on to have a little discussion about the photo period variations could have contributed to the observed cannabinoid differences. And that Turner, four years before this study, <laughs> um, reported variation in cannabinoid concentrations of a Mexican variant as a function of time of day and plant age at sampling. So that's maturity at, har- like maturity at harvest, right? And, 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 and at the time of day. So I know there's some bro science out there that says if you harvest in the morning or if you harvest at twilight or if you harvest in the middle of the night, you're, and maybe this is where that comes from is this paper from 1975. I don't know. Maybe we should read that one next.
3: Trailer park boys.
4: (laughs) So, um, I don't know. And then, and then, cause I haven't seen anything to do with time of day in any sort of recent research. Um,
2: but There's I know it's out
4: there people. that people, you know, swear by harvesting it at a particular, you know, like got to do a handstand and then turn around three times and harvest it at the, you know, green flash of the Michigan. I don't know. Like,
2: but how do they know? Like, because if you 195... only harvest it at that time, you never tried different. It's how would you know?
0: It's all about biodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> That's the principles that they're, attempting to apply with that and it's moon phase related yeah if right.
2: you harvest at the full but, moon are you gonna start howling after well, you it depends or? on
0: which. There's there's some other things at play here but without diving into that one it's it's about the principles of biodynamic farming and that's from years and years and years ago and so that's kind of where they're feeding that off of and then of course also there is that's you know Sectioned off into the bro science of when to kind of harvest plants at times because you know even like in indoor facilities they're like worried about the time of day or the time of light cycle that's going through and et cetera et cetera so that's that's where that originally comes from is biodynamic I mean I got an app on my phone for for that I mean yeah it's 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 a thing I mean harvest moon if you're if you if you're a farmer
2: the harvest oh, moon that's there's the a
4: song the called that probably from right around 1975. <laughs>
2: There is a lot of actually like... <laughs> I'm not uh, kidding it. Isn't
4: it Neil Young?
2: <laughs> there's so a this study was based on. garden that are cold Harvest Moon. I think it's like there's lots um, that tie to it, which is pretty cool. But then at the same time, um, again, like, you know, when the animal is about to be slaughtered, is it more scared at a certain time of the day? You know, so the plant knows is going to die does it care what time of the day it dies is sort of you know what i'm wondering is there actually you know
4: well it, it probably has some sort of circadian rhythm just like we do and you know you want to harvest it when hormone levels are optimal or something. i don't this i don't would know.
2: have a room where like everything grows the same but then they take down like let's say different rows at different time of the day and just compare yeah it would be a pretty easy experiment to set up somebody
4: just has to do it but there aren't enough scientists and people allowed to grow cannabis yet for th- these little nitpicky um, things to be done yet. Cause we're still figuring out, you know, other stuff.
0: You mean like <laughs> just how to grow it in general,
4: especially
0: right. I a mean, large scale. I mean, if anyone's going to try and actually do that at a consistent red anything, light or
4: blue light.
0: <laughs> yeah. like Yeah. That's how
4: that's do we a- get the biggest buds? Um. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I thought that was a really interesting sentence that they mentioned this uh, Turner paper from 1975 um, about the function of the time of day and the age. Age is normal. The time of day is weird to me. Anyway, um, then in the next paragraph, and we're almost at the end here, trauma experienced by the cuttings as a result of the vegetative. Oh, another factor that probably contributed to these differences was the trauma experienced by the cuttings. Um and the bold statement that the physical and physiological violation of the plants subjected to the vegetative propagation procedure probably manifested itself in both morphologically and biochemically. I really like that statement. It's like dun dun dun. <laughs> they just used some really great words in that statement. Um. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's definitely from uh it, it just feels like everybody who originally taught me about cannabis is that that statement. They they're, they're yeah. very yeah, very like plant wholesome and you know don't
4: violate the plant you're subjecting yeah. it to Dr.
0: cannabis they wouldn't even let me use temperature my first year of growing an indoor f- the indoor capacity they were teaching me, I didn't use any temperature sensors, no humidity things, nothing. I was just going there, use those things there and see what the plant does. And it was just like, that's why I want to get here. And I got all these Bluetooth sensors, I can refresh the thing on my computer. I'm sending water. I mean, it's... (laughs) So, you know, it kind of like that makes sense for sure. That way it's, it's just, it's really cool now to see where we've, you know, come through. We've had that ability where, you know, Dr. Kaplan, like what, 40 40 years after 35 somewhere years you know after that you got the chance there's 30 some years you got a chance to do another propagation paper and just kind of say like hey you know some of these things are kind of woo woo uh you know we're able to kind of verify some of these things are a little bit more you know solidified rather than kind of like you know it sounds like it's kind of like hippie right coming out of the bush like a statement like that more so than like science based right it's more kind of like feeling based i don't know but yeah, I kind of want to throw it to Dr. Kaplan and that sort Darren. Like, how when you read that, you know, what at what point did you read this paper through that process, and just kind of like what was going through your brain when you're like, you know, I'm doing this propagation paper, and then this thing comes out from left field, and you're just like, holy, this is not what I'm studying right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's uh, all of the things that they found still hold true. They're just like, I think that they just didn't. There wasn't as much like common knowledge about cloning, right? They didn't know that if you took a cut from a flower, like no one's going to take a cut from a flowering plant. Like, What's the point of doing research on that? But they didn't know that people weren't growing cannabis, you know, high density, high scalable scaled facilities it just wasn't a thing. But there were in- interesting stuff in there. Like I, I can't say that I pulled too much from it to do any work myself, but the, like the, the alternate leaf thing, that was interesting. That's probably the first time they said that. So like even just that, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff um yeah it's uh it's it's changed a lot the the the, the science and the horticultural science with cannabis in the past uh, many years but not as much as it could have because like if you think about the jump from this paper to I guess the next propagation paper which was my paper in 20 to 2010 or 15 or something like that it's just like 30 so many wasted years it's a shame
4: Yeah, This is to to me. This is like one of those springboard papers where there's so many things in here, like all together. It doesn't really um, give us a whole lot of uh, anything we can put weight into, but it tells us, hey, we need to look more at this and this and this like, you know, and and doesn't matter where we take the cuttings from. Doesn't matter how we do this. They didn't think that photo period contributed very much to the differences. But maybe it does. They didn't really look at it that much. Like, I feel like this is one of those springboard papers where it's like, we fucked around. We kind of found out. It's time to do some more fucking around. You know what I mean? Um, so I actually really like this paper, uh, despite its lack of detail. But, you know, that's not how they used to write stuff back then. It just isn't like writing papers, like this idea that a, pa- a paper has to have you know, has to be 30 pages long and have 200 citations. Like they, what, they've got six citations for this whole paper. Like just the whole um, scientific world and how we go about doing, setting up experiments, how we do a literature review, like figuring out what all has been done. What am I going to do differently? What exactly? Like all of this has changed how we, check each other during a peer review process like this would never get through peer review like today not at all we would they be like
0: Like, you're only missing like
4: everything you know what i mean so (laughs) so it's
0: conflicts i didn't see any conflicts in here maybe these guys were from the government they just want to purposely steer us sideways on vegetative (laughs) propagation
4: well i don't know they've got some some know they're going back and forward about this photo period thing and um you know these this turner at all had found something about the time of day and the and the age at sampling i don't know that could be maybe turner came back and said hey you know i don't know um but i feel like this is one of those springboard papers where it's like okay the ground is broken now let's get down to, to it and do some more work however with the you know uh way that cannabis has been illegal the last better part of a century, no one's been able to follow up on this, you know. And as Darren said, he was kind of the next person to do anything with this sort of stuff, which is crazy. So, I actually really like this paper, um, and it's unfortunate that no one has been able to really follow up or repeat it with with more strains, more sampling, etc., etc. So, or maybe it's out there, and I just don't know about it. I, Darren will not probably know better better than I. No, still no. Okay. So, I
1: mean, um, yeah. Just gonna say we should cut them some slack. You know, they're they're weed scientists, not weed scientists.
4: <laughs> Weedy <laughs> so we we plants. That. I have a they're
2: similar welcome. question. When they said what they they tested leaf tissue, did they actually test the leaves, or was it the flowers that they tested?
3: Probably the they leaves. Specify.
2: The leaves, but also the flowers oh.
3: are mostly leaves, right? So it depends on the the, the how they use their terminology. Like the, it's but a. But congest- leaves
2: don't have trichomes.
3: Leaves right. do have trichomes? But
2: but they the don't have as flowers. many,
4: and but I I feel like the age of the plant is not old enough for it to be in full flower anyway. So you're really not going to see as many trichomes as you would in a fully mature plant, anyway. I um,
0: don't think. Like, I don't think they tested fan leaves, like the actual, like, sugar or sugar leaves definition, they, right? They might have.
3: They, they might have done fan leaves. And, and, like, again, like, if you look at, uh, like, what an inflorescence is to, based on whatever definitions they had back then, it could have been, it's, like, congested leaves and bracts, which, and that's where most trichomes are, bracts and leaves, and it's, like... Yeah, have like seen the pictures maybe that's... of the bud. It hasn't been bud. It's like just it is just kind of leaves, right?
0: Well, know.
2: if you look at the grows from East uh, from Eastern Europe, um, or if you look at the sort of ruderalis back home, uh, all of their varieties that they cultivate uh, that they breed, even they are all very leafy. And I keep looking at it and I'm so confused because I'm like, how is ours mostly the calyxes and theirs is mostly leaves? Even on the top colas, it's still mostly like leaf matter. Breeding. And it's like quite green too, you know, which is uh, very interesting. And like when I ask people, I'm like, but don't you see the difference? on my buds, everything is covered in trichomes and you have like straight up green leaves sticking out of the top. Um, It's really, you know, interesting to me sort of like how did that happen and how were they able to preserve sort of like that trait and it never went anywhere.
1: It's basically Um, the equivalent of wild mustard and like broccoli (laughs) or or, like cabbage or something.
4: Just yeah. Selective breeding and, um, you know, maybe in this in the United States and and where a lot of I, I would imagine a lot of the stuff from Canada is coming from, um, it's not that wild weedy type that doesn't look like it has much substance to it. Darren, do were you able to do any of the calculations for what these uh percentages would be?
3: Oh
4: no. No, did you I, drop I that? Because I, now I'm interested to see point what one, the. Multiply,
3: what, it, multiply it by point 0.1, I think. Whatever numbers there are per ppm. I, I so might be wrong. That's, that's the 3,000.
4: All right. So let's see. The highest number is 12, 8, 115. One point. What's it? Times point 0.1 is. That's not right.
0: Oh, you're muted, Darren. It's okay, don't worry. This is the part where I heavily edit this. It's funny because the last episode I break open, and I'm about to edit, it and it starts out with Corey going, this is where you get your wiggly jigglies out. Yeah, That's, how
2: That's how the, the video podcast. starts, Corey, on YouTube.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Right? Oh, I didn't edit it on YouTube. Mom, no,
2: it starts with you saying "get your jigglies out," and then it goes to the intro, and then you know. Oh, that's gonna be on the podcast too.
3: Yeah, that's great. It's
2: pretty funny. I
3: right, give you guys in the chat something for reference. Two percent is twenty thousand ppm. I wanted to. I wanted to show a picture actually. Ah, that's still so low. Yeah, it would be really low. Expect Yeah, like- so
4: we've got twelve. 12- uh 1.2 percent on is the highest THC.
2: yeah no wonder they think that that's we're normal. smoking something that's- crazy nowadays well these are
4: leaves these are leaves
3: well, too though they so
2: smoked that would make leaves
3: sense. yeah they did smoke <laughs> leaves that's, that's what my dad. every time i talked to my dad he's like you smoked the leaves right and he's he smoked in the 70s yeah
2: (laughs) i mean you know like the hash is popular back home for a reason is because instead of harvesting individual plants they just run through the fields and they scrape it off their body um it's how they do it in certain areas sanitary trust me (laughs) but um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I've I've actually talked to one person who was like, Yeah, I'm like one of those Tajiks who is like super hairy, and I actually used to do that back in the day, and I was just like, No. And he was and like, then I'd yeah. have my friends come over and suck
4: on me. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, very unsanitary.
0: I might have to edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that it too. differently and I so. thought if I say it that way and you leave it in I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble. So that's why I said I have my friends come over. But yeah. <laughs> the the other
2: one is that um <laughs> green milk they call it, they harvest the cola or and then they boil it down with condensed milk. Uh and then they basically like squeeze out all the um uh, hard matter and you get like a, a milk drink that's super sweet. Super infused, and you get wrecked from it. Um, so that's something that people back home do, because it grows like you can go into a village, and it literally grows in the field. So you can like run around, get a couple buckets of uh, colas, and just you know, hang out uh, one afternoon for a couple hours, make that, and yeah, it's it's very popular in Crimea. Back in
4: college, my friends did that <laughs> with daytura.
1: <laughs> oh,
4: different experience.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: botanist.
4: I didn't do it. Oh, Dr.
0: Didn't. Anibis, such a good child back in the I day.
4: Know, I'm such a good girl.
3: <laughs> I wanted to share a photo with you guys, actually. But from, I was trying to find it when we were talking before about the alternate opposite thing. Um, yeah. I guess during my experience, see if I can make it work. But it's from, let's see how I, I can do this. Two, okay. I'll have to edit it if it doesn't work. Is that working you see yeah? it? oh it's working yeah oh it's blinking
4: <laughs> it's blinking Ooh.
3: yeah i don't know what that blinking is about okay. oh. Oh.
4: oh oh there
3: we go there we go okay yeah so this is from um i'm working on a well i finished working on a project with the university of guelph and my part my partners in my uh, consulting firm and we right we wrote a couple chapters for a textbook one of them was on canopy management and we looked at uh we kind of just dug into the research and some of like the, our experiences on keeping moms and propagation and stuff like that. So this was some, we talked about this in, in the, in the chapter and it'll, it's not coming out for a few months, but, uh, how easy it is to, to keep moms that are from seed, which is the top because they alternate, you can see. So you can see when you take a cut on top that it, it forms into two very nice nodes instead of on the bottom where that's from a cutting and you're trying to create a mom, like one node is underneath ones on top. And then they get differential lighting, like light intensity, because one's lower and they shade each other, and so your your cuts don't grow at the same rate as each other, and so it just it's not like ideal for for kind of mass cutting production. It's better to have the opposite nodes. From my experience, it's not like a general like general rule, but that's kind of what what we found. Uh, hmm. Yeah, just an interesting anecdote I thought.
0: yeah definitely. that's wild especially because most places just like can't do seed moms over and over and over again so it's kind of like the whole uh process is almost set up to fail in sort of way or just make it intentionally uh, quite difficult Uh, as we've all seen we've seen some giant trees and some other rooms going now that's not the way we do it
1: (laughs) hang on well I'm surprised we got that. Well, not surprised, but I'm glad we got this discussion, like pretty, pretty hefty.
4: We got a, almost an hour out of that once it's all edited.
0: Oh yeah, oh, yeah.
1: so I I think one of the cool things also to take away from it is the THC concentrations, but maybe not in the sense that they're like oh pressure and and stress, poor plants. But I mean, we've seen before that plant stress does do something to THC, whether that's drought or I forget what happened in our last study where like they mechanically damaged the, the plants. But I'm pretty sure in both cases, the THC increased. So it's interesting to think that this chemical that is so medicinal is like increased when the plant is like stressed in any kind of way. So it's like their defense mechanism, but it's our, I guess in our way, a defense mechanism as well.
4: Well, and now we know it's not just CBD and THC. There are other interesting compounds that are also influenced um, through different methods of manipulation, whether it be, you know, topping or mechanical stress or whatever. So although these people only looked at two compounds again this would be an interesting study to expand on and see what happens to things like the terpene profile or other cannabinoids or you know whatever the case may be so agreed yield (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: I'm i'm excited to do a few more things uh yeah, in that propagation, just kind of reading this thing, it's really interesting how, you know, like I was mentioned, there's some different things like in tomato times and agriculture wise. And it's just, again, interesting to know because they were, you know, all these folks are taught by people that have been doing it for a very long time. And so uh, it's been nice for me to kind of get that. And as strange as some of these words have been, I mean. To be clear, nobody in my work talks like this paper. There's no, We don't have to look up the dictionary for three different people and try and figure out the definition for what they're saying. But, uh, yeah, it definitely kind of puts context to uh, that old school training that they received.
4: Can, can we start calling, like, the 1970s through the, you know, 1990s, can we start calling that the Tomato Times? Like, I'm back still, in Tomato Times. I
0: hear <laughs> this phrase all the Clearly yeah. affecting me. Uh, some people at work who are now listening to Resonate Radio are going to laugh pretty loudly, uh, I think. And, uh, Mike, it's all your fault, man. You're the one who put tomato times in the brain. and it just,
4: it's <laughs> I really the- like it. I'm going to run with it. Tomato, time. back in tomato times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Casey, let's wrap this up, brother. It's on you.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our second episode back of The Count of Book Club. We're going to have another episode for you next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. Uh, what topic should we talk about? I don't know. You should probably send us messages and and let's talk about a cool topic of cannabis science. Um, don't forget to follow Resonate on all of the things. And especially YouTube. I'll see you guys next week.
0: Goodbye, Casey. Goodbye, Canna Book Club members. I love you. It's always good to see you. Thank you so much for another fantastic, rockin' episode of the Canna Book Club. You can see us everywhere. YouTube, Twitch, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio, yeah the other ones not just google and apple but we're there as well so leave a review if you get some time really appreciate it until next time everybody we'll see you
4: all later goodbye